0: On the ride of a lifetime, I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I want.
1: from the salt lake city utah this is heart of the matter where mormonism meets biblical christianity face to face i'm your host sean mccraney this is my dear friend jedediah known as jetty in my book he is uh perhaps one of my favorite people on earth jetty is hilarious he is always saying funny things but he loves the Lord like no other. I don't know what's going to come out of his mouth right now, so this is interesting. Jenny, would you like to say anything to the audience? Oh, wake up. (laughs) We're live. Here we are. Oh, there we go. That's That's it. Oh, we're over here. Jed is known as Joe Smith on Disgracebook, and uh, he's also he makes calls into TV20. This is not hired by us to do. Jed does this stuff on his own, but I love this man right here.
2: Well, I think
1: the Lord put it upon me to do it. I, I don't know why, but... Well, you do it well. Thanks, my brother. Love you. <laughs> love you, too. He's wearing a Denver shirt. All right. We thank the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry. And, um, you know, we are part of his ministry. We mess it up. He fixes it, we keep messing it up, he fixes it. So it's really great to be a part. We're grateful for all the volunteers and staff and everybody who gives their time. Um, The audience here who's live, we welcome those of you who will be watching on Roku, streaming right now in different parts of the world. We know that we have people in England and Australia and different parts who watch, and uh, Sweden. And then uh, also those who will be watching on the archives. Listen, take a look at this.
0: For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying,
1: Here at campus, our church services on Sunday, 10 and 2.30, we uh, focus on the word, we read through it, and we study it together. And the other thing, when we do sing, and we try to sing, uh, we sing the word of God put to music. It's not the most entertaining thing, and, you know, it's in terms of rocking out, and, uh, but it, what it does is it does help put the word into your mind and heart, and that uh, goes a long way, and that's why we do it at church. And, and so you can get, we have about 57 songs uh, uh, that are available on CD. Go to the website, you can get them. People who come here can pick those up from us free. But uh, they are available now on iTunes. That's the whole point. I'm bringing this up. You can get them on iTunes. People have asked for that. You just type in Mallory, M-A-L-L-O-R-Y, McCrane And uh, it's now on iTunes. And you can get those songs through that. Medium. Last week, we ended with a call from Christine, and um, it uh, she was confused in the John, I believe, chapter 17, in the intercessors intercessory prayer. That means Jesus was making intercession on behalf of his 12 disciples, apostles, and he prayed, Father, that they would be one, as he and the Father are one. Okay, and 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 she was confused on how Jesus and the Father are one when he prayed that the apostles would be one as he and the Father are one. How is that possible? Because the apostles obviously couldn't be one. They were 12 separate men. So why would Jesus say be one as me and the Father are one? And I'm guessing the confusion lies in the fact that it was impossible for the apostles to be one physically. So how is it possible for there to be one one God? Uh, you know, this, this is talked about on LDS missions and it's used by the LDS missionaries quite a bit. Obviously, we're talking about one in spirit and not one in flesh, and they try to show that this is the distinction between father and son. Well, they, th- the father and son uh, are not one physically, okay, uh, so it's not, it's not a mystery. When Jesus was on earth and he was in a body of flesh, he certainly wasn't one physically, with the invisible God of consuming fire. He said, let these apostles be one in spirit as I am one with you in my spirit. You get it? They were one by the spirit the same way the apostles would be one. See, the fullness of God dwelled in Christ spiritually. His flesh was not one with God. His flesh was of man, that was his will. His flesh had to overcome temptation. God isn't tempted. Jesus' flesh had to overcome temptation. So he was one with God internally, and that's how they were one, with him being in flesh spiritually. They were tied as one. And that's all Jesus was saying is, let my apostles be one in spirit, completely united, indivisible between themselves on their thoughts, their ideas, whatever it is. I hope that helps, Christine. It's really actually quite a long discussion, and there's a lot of elements to it, but hopefully that will help. With that, let's have a moment from the Word.
2: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts sang, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse.
1: In uh, John 2, 21, 1 John 2, 21, John the Beloved wrote, no lie is of the truth. And later on, we read, uh, truth is truth. James says that a spring of water doesn't give up good water and bad water. A spring of water either is a good spring or it's a bad spring. So when you dip down to a spring to drink, you're not gonna sometimes get a shot of bad and then then a big run of good and then a little bad. That's not how it works. Jesus touched on the same principle when he was talking about Uh, you shall know the prophets by their fruits. Essentially, a tree does not, it either gives good fruit or it's going to give bad fruit, and that comes from the roots. It, It is not a tree that, you know, five branches, branches 27, 38, and 24 are bad branch fruit, and the others are good. The tree gives good fruit. The tree gives bad fruit. And so, the observations of the Lord in James and everything, that bring us to an interesting thing, and the topic, of course, you know this, this discussion, and the topic is counterfeits, okay? Um, the real deal, let me, give you, let me give you a picture of the real deal here. This is the real deal, okay? Take a good close look at that. That's a $100 bill, okay? and. These things are really high tech now. You'll see why in just a second. But that's the real McCoy. It's got the watermark, it's got a hologram, it's got different colors in it. Uh, I don't know how you could counterfeit this thing effectively, all right? So there's the real deal. Now, if I was gonna try to pass off something else and I said, here's $100, you would say, well, that's a really lousy counterfeit, Sean. I mean, look at that thing. It's ridiculously small. It's black and white. The edges aren't cut off. That's a bad counterfeit. So, you know, there's some churches that come along and they, they are really bad counterfeits. You know they are nothing like Christianity at all. Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard's deal. It kind of looks like this. You know, you compare it, you can automatically say bad, okay? This is yours after that, Bradley. That's your $100 bill, all right? And, and then you have ones that look pretty darn good. You know? But there's a major thing that's off with them, all right? And, and, and you, it's so major, for instance, like Islam looks pretty darn good for people who really truly follow And I'm not talking about fundamentalists that fly planes into things. I'm talking about people who follow the Koran and they, it's a pretty darn good religion, but it's black and white different, okay? So we know that's out. This is yours. Now, and of course there's other ones that, you know, not gonna work. And, 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 and then we can come to ones, and this is really interesting. When I tried to color copy an exact replica of this, this is what the copier did. It won't copy straight across. It gives you the image, but there's lines in there that need to be filled in by me to make it really look authentic. So it's about the same size and it is a color uh, photograph, but it's the wrong paper and there's lines in there and you cannot replicate that unless you get in there and do the work. Well, my whole point in this is the true church, I better watch out for this one. The true church is legitimate and when you know the truth, you see it, you touch it, you know there's nothing sketchy about it. it. There's no lie in it at all. There's no lie. It's not a tree that's giving some bad fruit and some good fruit. It's a completely good fruit tree. When you are a believer and you study the Bible, you start to be able to detect these counterfeits. And you start to be able to say, wow, you know, that is not sounding right. There's something wrong with what I'm hearing, okay? Well, the deal with the single most diabolical counterfeit on earth to Christianity, is going to be the one that persuades you really, really well that it's true. It's going to look almost exactly like the real McCoy. It's going to have all the elements there. And I would say that the greatest counterfeit is the most supreme uh, reproduction and that's Mormonism. It has all the elements there, Jesus and God and, and, and doing good and obeying commandments and being faithful to family and family unit and has all that stuff going on. But between those lines, there's some drastic measures because it looks so close to good, people grab it. They think it's currency that's going to be uh, negotiable in heaven and they are going to find themselves sorely mistaken when it comes, and that's one of the reasons that we do what we do. That message about counterfeit is going to play in with what we're gonna talk about now. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we uh, seek your truth and uh, your spirit to be with us here or wherever uh, we are, and uh, that you'll open our eyes and ears and help us to um, seek you in spirit and in truth and to be able to witness the counterfeits, however they come and from whomever they come, whatever man or woman is preaching them or teaching them, that we will be able to discern them and look to you and you alone, the only currency that matters here and in heaven beyond. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight is gonna be a night of heuristics. You've heard that word before. And I'm gonna give you several. Speaking of counterfeits, we have been talking about what it means to be a Christian. And we've had two or three parts on this. Tonight, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of insights about what it means to be a Christian and how it plays out. Now, the LDS are all about men and women progressing, getting better and better. Gordon B Hinckley is the one who said, we take bad men, we make them good. We take good men, we make them better. And quite frankly, let's be fair, they they walk the talk. The church is so instituted that it takes people and it moves them doctrinally, in practice, according to their age and maturity. It's all based on that progressiveness to move them along toward Godhood. And um, it does work for them. That system does work, like the military. It does work, but it's a horribly deceptive counterfeit which you really have to kind of examine to understand why it is. Because if you just step back and look at it, people who say church is something that should make our lives look good, you look at Mormons and you say, hmm, they do it really well. So it's an extremely good counterfeit to the other. Now, Christians typically as a whole, fail by comparison in their corporate attempts to move people progressively into greater and greater maturity. It does happen, obviously. There's a lot of mature Christians in the word and they grow by the spirit. That comes by the spirit, not by church. But generally speaking, even in the most organized denominations, they can't compete with the system of Mormonism. And the reason for that is what drives the Mormon mindset. What's behind it versus in Christianity, what's behind it is a completely different thing. So let me give you an example and we'll go to the board. And after this one, Wendy, be prepared to erase. Let's take two babies, okay? This is a blanket. This is baby number one and we're gonna call this baby Mormo, okay? And this is baby number two, and we're gonna call this baby uh, Chris. This is a Christian baby, this is a Mormon baby, all right? Now, the thing that the LDS do is they want their Mormon baby to go this way and they want their Mormon baby, if it's a male, to end up looking like this. Ah. (sighs) Okay, that's the Mormon baby's ultimate goal. And that means in their job, in their income, in their outward stature, They want them to look that way in the homes they buy and live in. They want them to be that way in their church callings. They want them to be that way in their education. It is all based on pride. Now, they they use Jesus in there, they use God in there to live up to your potential in there, but all of it amounts to these things, and all of their outcomes are esteemed in terms of the world. If you have possession of good these things, especially this, and this falls into, by the world standards, you are deemed a success in Christianity. Now, I wanna go to some scriptures. Go to James 4.4, let's read what it says. James 4.4 says, I'm not done yet, wind. Adulterers and adulteresses, do not. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay? You're looking at one of the most worldly religions on earth. Billion dollar mall. Okay? Next one. Let's go to uh, Colossians 3.2. Don't have it? We're waiting for it for a moment. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay, set your mind. As a whole, the Mormon religion does this. Let's go to the next one, Matthew 13.22. Uh, it says, now, this is Jesus. He's given the parable of the sower. And he says, this is what I mean when they say the, the seed is thrown amongst thorns. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Okay. Cares of the world. And then we go to uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 32, 33. Excellent. And it says, Paul says, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, if you look at Mormonism, uh, Bruce R. McConkie said marriage is the most important thing that a Mormon can do. There Paul says, listen, if you're married, you're gonna have to care for the things of this world. It's not that he was saying, don't be married. He said, if you can't contain yourself sexually, marry. It's better to marry than to burn. But if you can, it's better to be like me, he said. And don't marry, you can give all your devotions to the Lord. And he says, if you're not, you're of this world. Finally, let's look at, I think it's 1 John two fifteen sixteen. 16. Listen to this final one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And when you talk about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and pride of life, you've got the end result Mormons want to bring their people progressively to. Okay, so let's just quickly look here at the Christian model. The Christian model is downward, okay? And it ends in the cross. A Christian parent who loves the Lord and knows the Bible does not want little Chris to increase they want them to get a job or whatever, they want them, but never be the focus. They don't want them to, to center on the world. They would rather have them become missionaries. They would rather have them teach. They would rather have them be involved in the church. They don't want them to do that. And it's a, it's a downward death to the flesh. And it is, we don't care about these things. And, and, and where do we get the model for that? We get the model from Jesus. We look at his actual life. When I was LDS and I was in quandary over what is true, I used to think, how come Jesus in the Bible looks so differently in terms of who he was and how he lived to Thomas Monson or to, or to, to Kimball or to these apostles? Why do they act and, and live so differently? How come Jesus seems to be such a different man and yet they promote this? You know, I wanna point something out. What this is, this is the Ubermensch. This is the Superman that Nietzsche taught about. This is what Ayn Rand talked about. This is all that. This is what um, uh, Marx was all about. All of this is about the elevation of man. That's what it's all about. It's nothing unique to Smith. All the philosophers that talk about this type of thing, they're all uh, historically there. Jesus is the one who says, die take up my cross and die to this world. Don't be of the world at all. And so while the Mormons do talk about progressing and Christians certainly talk about becoming joint heirs with Christ, this is how you become a joint heir with Christ. It's through this means, the death of the flesh, the way you become the best Mormon, we're looking at the best of the best, become the best Mormon, become the best Christian, And I'm telling you, in the end, we have completely different views. And that's why the counterfeit is so deceptive. Okay, Wendy, get going. Hurry, fast, we have lots to talk about. Oh, she used to be so fast in her younger years. We pay her so much money. Turn the cup around. We have a, uh, I won't say it. Okay, listen, there's some concepts you're gonna need to know about tonight. Stay with me, I promise you, this is gonna blow your mind on what we're talking about. You're gonna have to hang with me though, all right? This is the final segment on what it means to be a Christian. So let's start. I wanna start by talking about dimensions, okay? We can start, and the first dimension is a point in time. And upon that, a point. You can do nothing with it, okay? Just understand that, we call, it's not the first dimension, it's the zero dimension, okay? There it is, a point. Now, the first dimension is length. And upon that, we really can't do anything either. It extends eternally out and back and it just goes, but you can't do anything with it. You can't give it any kind of form. The second dimension, includes the first and the second. It includes length and it includes width, all right? So now we have a plane upon which something can be created. Let me give you an example. We could draw a person. Now, if you get with the scientists, they'll tell you there is no flatter person on the face of this earth then this, this man in the, first, uh, in the second dimension. Completely the flattest there is. But the man can be drawn and created because the man has a place in a space of width and length. With me so far? Nods help from the audience. <laughs> now, the third dimension adds the first, the second, and the third. Do you know what it is? We have length. We have width, and then we have height. So, what happens in this is we now have room for a 3D person, a little thicker, arms, hands, a little baby, all right? Okay, there's little baby in the, Third dimension, okay? And, and so what we have there is an opportunity for things to take form, all right? Now we have something called the fourth dimension. So we have length in the first, we have width in the second, we have height in the third. What is the fourth dimension? Time. You see, little baby here, he needs to grow. If he just stayed in the third dimension, he would just stay a baby. But so what we get though, is we get something that looks like this, time. Yeah, (laughs) sorry, all right. And inside of that, we have a person who is fully dimensional, full grown, and what we would call an heir of Christ joint air, with Christ, okay? Wendy, get at it. Those are the dimensions. You got that? Keep those in mind, all right? Now we're gonna go to the next part. You know, we gave her a retirement plan. We, uh, we promised her silver handcuffs, whatever. <laughs> whatever that means. All right, thank you, Wendy. In the book of Genesis, God says he wants to create man and he says, let us create him in our own image. Now, some people think, the Mormons think that means anthropomorphically that Adam literally is a man like God is a man, okay? Christians believe that Adam was created in his image as being uh, three in one. And so what we have there is Uh, three essences, three expressions of Adam in one man. Those Christians out there who are watching, did you know whether you're male or female that you too have those three expressions? That you have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. Can you tell them apart? You really can't. No matter how hard you try, you're not gonna be able to tell them apart. So it's one being, Adam, who has three essences, compartments to his person a body, a soul, and a spirit. So we could say the Father, we could say the Son, we could say the Holy Spirit, and we can say the Father was a consuming fire, we could say the Son was the Word made flesh, and we could say the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. Okay? And we could also say that man is uh, flesh, so he has a body called the sarx in the Greek. And that he has a Holy Spirit called the pneuma in the Greek, spirit. And he has a soul. He has mind, he has will, he has emotion. Okay, and we could say that is how God created Adam in his own image, and Eve, okay? Well, something happened. Good old Adam, here, he sinned. So what did God do? Who related to Adam completely by the spirit, relating here, what did God do? He moved out. Gone, boom. And Adam died spiritually. God said to Adam, listen, in the day you eat of that fruit and disobey me, you will die. You will surely die in the day. Well, Adam lived to be 300, I mean, 930 some odd years old. Did he die? No, he didn't die physically. His soul didn't die, his mind, will, and emotion, but his spirit died, okay? And God moved out. It was called spiritual death. So that is God's, we'll call Adam God's primary home, okay? God went to another house. What was it? It is, we'll call it the patterned house. Where did God give a pattern for his house? In the temple or the tabernacle. And what was it? It was three compartments. It was an outer court. It was an inner court. And it was a holy of holies. Okay, it's three in one. One temple, one tabernacle, three compartments, patterned. Okay. It was defiled. And what did God do? He moved out. He said, I'm out of here. I don't live and dwell in unholy places. Well, where did he go? His next house. Let's call it his perfect house. Ooh, what was that? We'll call it his son, Jesus, who took on flesh, God with us. Jesus always smiles, okay? And he moves into his son and that was a perfect home. Did God move out? Yeah, he did. How come? Because sin moved in. Whose sin? Our sin. And so God moved out when? I would suggest, could be wrong here, but I would suggest God moved out of his son, only at one point in time, first time in the, in the eternities, when his son was on the cross. Prior, when he's on the cross, he's made, he makes seven statements. And he's up there and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Father, this, Father. And then all of a sudden, the earth goes dark. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I would suggest at that point, Jesus died spiritually that he was all alone as a man up on that cross bearing the weight of the world. Could be wrong, but I believe God moved out. Wendy, you gotta raise part of it really quickly, just part of it, because I got one more place. So we have a primary house, we have a patterned house, we have a perfect house. God has moved out of all of those because sin has moved in and corrupted them. Well, suddenly, that's good. We have a final one. I'll switch places with you. We have a permanent house. Who is it? It's believers. When you look to his son who lived perfectly and took upon our sin, God moves in and he does not move out because of our sin. His son perfectly took care of everything. So once he moves in, he's there. We're gonna sin, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna have evil thoughts. God has moved in. Wendy, where are you going? I need you now and he is, uh, he's not gonna ever move out, okay? Not gonna move out upon, go ahead, erase it, upon the conditions of who you are and what you've been and what you've done. He is there because you have believed. You believed, by, saved by grace through faith to believe, okay? You have all that down, nods will help. Okay, Dave is nodding radically. A little bit too much, I think. Nipping at the cooking sherry again, I believe. Okay, so my whole point we've been talking about what it means to be a christian those who come to campus have seen this so here we go we know that we were created with a body with a soul and with a spirit and that's how we came into this world and we know that We had complete operation, God created us this way, and we had complete operation of these uh, faculties. And all that I just talked about, God moved out, and guess what happened? Man died spiritually. So I'm gonna put a big black line right here, okay? And that's spiritual death. And after Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, this is the area by which all of us who don't know Jesus, operate by and live. Our body and our soul, our sarks and our suke, defined by the Greeks as our mind, will, and emotion. Our body likes it. Our mind says, Hmm, I think I can do that. Our emotions say, Huh, oh, I really want to do it. Our will says, I can do it. And we act. We don't have spirit going on. We're spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said, You must be born again. So we come into this world and we're spiritually dead. Now Here we are, and we're gonna call this realm, from this point down, we're gonna call this realm the realm of happiness, okay? We're gonna call it that because I would suggest everything we individually do living in this realm is because it makes us happy. When it stops making us happy, we won't do it. Uh, When people come to me and say, I really, really wanna get off drugs, I know they'll get off drugs when they have replaced the drugs with something that makes them happier. As long as the drug makes them happy, yes, and no one can judge another man, we all gonna do what we want, they're gonna continue to do it. You can't tell somebody who, who has a lot of money if money makes them the happiest that they are on this earth that they need to give up loving money. They won't do it until something else brings them more happiness. So I call this the realm of happiness. And in the realm of happiness, we have an axis of action and we have an axis of operation. This is how we do this. These are the choices we make. And this is what we are operating by. I'm just breaking down the human world without Jesus in it. Okay. And I would divide this up And I would say that we have negative things that we can do, actions that make some people very, very happy, and we have positive things that we can do that make other types very happy, okay? So in the negative types, by the body, we have people who love sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, whatever that means, we have people who uh, are violent. We have people who like to hurt other people and themselves. I mean, it's all based in flesh, and it's in the negative side, and when I say negative, I'm not saying sinful, I'm saying consequence-wise. Consequence-wise, that's all, okay? Positive and negative, negative. and these things we have people, and you know people who live in that, in that realm. Okay, and then we have the negatives of the soul, the mind, will, and emotion. And we have people who like witchcraft. And we have people who like um, gangs, gang activity. We have people who love crime and secular uh, anarchy. They love destruction, okay? They love disorder. It's their mind, will, and emotion. Now, I'm gonna tell you something. The people who love these things They love them far more than they love the stuff over here. They just do. We think, oh, they're more evil. They're just as evil. We're all in the realm of happiness and we're all still spiritually dead, but it's just that these are the things that some people gravitate toward. Now, stay with me. If these are the negative things, consequently, uh, that you do in the body and with the soul, what are the positive? Ah, well, we have education and we have religion, and we have our occupation, and we have wealth accumulation. We have vacations. We have all the things that are positives in the human life that people do that tend to, uh, we have uh, civic affairs, community, service, okay? All those things. And then we have down here diet, and we have nutrition, and we have working out, and we have athletics, and we have sports, all the things that have a good positive connotation, negative, and, you, and the thing is, this is a single dimension thing, speaking of dimensions, uh, uh, I mean, a double dimension, so we don't have it working. Very few people are just gangsters. There are gangsters who are religious, who diet and love drugs. So it's not just that, but I'm just trying to compartmentalize it to help you understand the human nature without God, okay? Got all that? Now, along came a guy named Jesus, and he swung open wide the door, and the light of the spirit world, of life in the spirit he brought Now I want you to notice something interesting. When that door swings open, this is a dark world. I don't care where you're at in it. I don't care what you're about. You're still dark because you're spiritually dead. You're living in the realm of happiness. You have not been saved by him. So it doesn't matter if you're here or here. To God, you're screwed all the way. He's not gonna say, well, you know, I was really grateful that you had a good job with GE. And I'm really mad that you spent all your time doing this. He's gonna say, did you know my son? That's why his son came. Well, when Jesus opens the door, look at this. The light shines most brightly in a dark world right down here. And that is why Jesus, uh, that's why the gospel reaches the lowly and it reaches the lost and it reaches the biggest reprobates and it reaches the people who are struggling and it doesn't reach these people these people Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven because they're over here in the north west east quadrant and when the light shines down they can barely see it by the time it gets into this dark void they, they can, all they can see is light coming out of this space right here versus these guys are right in the middle of it Usually you find the best Mormons here. They cannot see how God could love people along this way and why people along this way resonate to him. Okay, so that's only the beginning. That's the realm of happiness. The Mormons thrive in the realm of happiness because they have everything that makes up happiness in this life. They have a place called Happy Valley. And you'll talk to someone, you'll say, hey, I wanna talk to you about Jesus, well, I'm happy. But you realize that the whole call for being a Christian is that line I drew, and it's suffering, it's difficulty, dying to the flesh, not living to it, you see. Well, here's the interesting thing. When you are born again and you enter into this place, here you go, you have entered into a battle. And Jesus Christ, he describes it so well for us in Matthew chapter five. And we're gonna wrap it up with this and then we'll take your calls. You ready? Go to Matthew chapter five with me. This is gonna blow your mind, folks. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't just say things out of order. He says them in the order he says them for a reason. You ready? The first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a negative. You go from here, you enter into spiritual life, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Listen, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven is it's theirs They're, you've inherited it it's yours okay then he goes on and he says blessed are the what those who mourn mourning and being poor in spirit and mourning these are the loss of this world It's the loss of the things that we have in this world. And we mourn over the actions we've taken. We mourn over the years we spent in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We mourn and we were poor in spirit over all those things. Thanks, Derek. And so we're mourning, he says, there shall be. He doesn't say is, shall be. And then the next one, blessed are the meek. So we have another loss here to become meek. This is the opposite of this world. This world operates on power, on whatever area, even over on these areas, it's all power. It's that that LDS guy up there in the corner that I drew earlier. That is why it is so sinister. And if you don't see it, you're part of a world system. This is Christ's system up here. And he's saying you're blessed if you're poor in spirit and you're mourning and you're meek, okay? But then we go to the positives side. And Jesus says what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after, hunger and thirst after righteousness. So we have an addition now to the person. Now the person's starting to grow in their faith, you see? And this is what is so important. And this is the parallel to to Mormon saying, you wanna become a God. And this is what Christian's saying, we wanna become joint heirs with Christ. It happens in the spirit realm, not in this realm. So blessed are uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, what's the next one? What is it? Okay, blessed are those who are merciful. So now you are starting to look around and you're looking down here and you're saying, you know, these guys who are addicted to porn and these people who have drug problems and you start to have more mercy for them and you're starting to become more like Christ and you're starting to become joint heir with him as you suffer through these things. Again, this is single and flat. It's all happening at the same time. Next one, blessed are the pure in heart. heart. Wow, that is a step. We can do all the religious stuff. We've learned how to do it down here, but now we're doing it because our heart is becoming pure. It's a process. I see it happen with people I talk with. As, as they stay in the word and they cling to Christ, they, their hearts start to become more pure. They start to grow in Christ. They're becoming joint heirs through this process. This is where the Mormon and, uh, uh, Christian thing have a commonality, but the Christian does it the right biblical way and the Mormon does it the world way. And it is so sinister. And so then after pure and heart, what's next? Peacemaker, Peace wow. Now look at that, that's a big one, you guys. Peacemaker, you know, I really don't care what you believe. I love you. Come on, let's talk about Christ. I really don't care about that. I don't care about, let's, hey, hey, stop fighting. Let's just try to understand and get along. Peacemaker, it's it's up the ladder. You see, this is in order. The final one, is this the final one, Dave? Uh, Blessed are the... Peacemaker's last, okay. And finally, last one, the persecuted. Guess what Paul says makes us joint heirs with Christ. He says we should be joint heirs with him if we suffer with him. And that's why Christ listed it last. When Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All these is a shall be, shall be, shall be, shall be, shall be, except this one. So entering in the kingdom as a newborn babe in Christ, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You learn to grow and go through all these things. You're being persecuted. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And it's always yours. You see? And then we have the cycle where you're going to fail when you're persecuted. You're going to call somebody a name back. And so you drop back down and you're poor in spirit again. And you mourn and you're meek and you come back up. And then you have this cycle. And this is what God is trying to bring us to when it comes to becoming joint heirs with Christ, learning to suffer with him. <coughs> All right. The radical thing about this, and I'm not, I know I'm going to probably get in trouble for this, If we wanted to do this, and I'll end it with this, we have here the first and second dimension. We have people who live flat. They're, they are tied to this, okay? You want people who live uh, in the, uh, wait a minute, let me think I got this right. This is the third dimension This is the first and second dimension, flat without the spirit. This is the third dimension, which was those three plus being a babe and having shape to you now. And then as you progress this way into this realm, this area right here is the fourth dimension. And this is where time, it takes time for you to grow to full stature as you are hungry and thirst after righteousness. You're being merciful to others. Your heart is pure. You're being a peacemaker and you're being persecuted for those things. That is the definition of what it means to be a Christian. And so people say, you shouldn't be fighting the churches. I don't see this being taught. I don't see the Christian churches telling their people, we gotta grow in the word. I see them entertaining them. I see them getting money from them. And I don't see them moving to get their people to yes, enter in, but then let's get on this road because that is the purpose, you see. And uh, hopefully this made some sense. Let's go to the phones, 801 590 through. 8413-801-590-8413. 8 8413 8 right. Dear Sean from Byron, as I researched the scripture on sonship of Jesus Christ and eternality of it, I was taken in by several passages. And uh, so Byron, what was as I don't believe in eternal sonship of Christ don't let that trouble you. I believe that Jesus, the word of God became the son when he was born and God became a father when Jesus was born. I don't believe Jesus, the son was the son of God in the Trinitarian sense from the beginning. Now there's other Trinitarians who believe that too. Eternal sonship's not a big deal with, with the whole thing, but I have, I just don't believe that. Well, this byron he's a good guy he writes and says listen we want to talk to you about eternal sonship and so he says there's a messianic psalm verse seven it says you are my son today i have begotten you i agree it's a messianic psalm it's speaking about messianically prophetically when that would happen really it applies to david and it's really going to apply to the messiah when he comes so it's messianic it's a prophecy that doesn't mean when i say listen no Old Testament sonship, no pre-creation sonship. I mean, God speaking of his son in the Old Testament as if he were there. We don't have passages where God the Father says, son, go and do this, son, do that. We don't have that relationship established in the Old Testament, that's what I mean. He uses Isaiah 9 verse six, unto us a son is given. When was the son given? when he was born. So again, the same thing. He uses uh, Hebrews uh, uh, where uh, the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus as the son of God. He is the son of God. I don't dispute that at all, okay? And then uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm gonna end on this one with this email. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's using this to prove that Jesus Christ was the son of God in the pre-creative period with the father in a father-son relationship, okay? Jesus Christ, when the writer of Hebrews says that, is speaking of his spirit. He is not speaking of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Obviously, Jesus Christ in the flesh is not the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was born a baby, he grew, he matured, he suffered, he died, he rose again to glory. He, he changed all the time as a man. So Jesus Christ, the man was constantly changing. So now in his spirit, no, it was always God, I get that. But so I'm just trying to clarify those things. We have two calls. Thank you, Derek, for your astute directive. Uh, we have Kathy in Salt Lake City. Kathy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi.
3: I'm glad I can hear you. I can't hear you on my computer, but I can hear you over my phone. Oh, good. Uh, anyway, I um, I love your show. I was in polygamy. I was Mormon, born Mormon, and I'm 68. And I I lived polygamy 13 years. I was six years sucking it all up and seven years getting out. Whoa. Uh, so but I'm I'm Christian now. I mean, I'm I'm still on the records of the church, but um not interested in being Mormon at all but um love the people don't like the leaders don't definitely don't like the doctrine don't believe in polygamy don't believe in the book of Mormon. but um i don't know what to do because i don't really want to be in an organized religion so i kind of don't know where to go because i know our savior said you know where two or three are gathered in my name there shall i also be in the midst of them and that we should gather together often if i read it correctly and, um, but I don't know where to go and I don't know what
1: to do. <laughs> well, okay, um, it's, it's, it is tough. And um, I'm gonna to just be bold and tell you to come to campus because we're, we are, uh, uh, all we do is read the Bible and that's it. We, we have purposely kind of constructed it for people coming out of the LDS church. We don't have memberships. We don't have dress code. We don't have tithes or offerings that you have to do or give there's no petition for any of these we just come together on sundays we read the word we sing if you want and we get out of dodge it would be it might be a good place for you to start if you would
3: love that
1: yeah so so, uh if you go to we have a graphic it'll come up on your computer it's www.campus.com and there's hyphens between all the letters C hyphen A hyphen, and so on. Oh, okay. And it'll give you the time, and it's Sundays 10 and 2.30, and then it signs to come here. Now, that being said, some people come here, and it's not their cup of tea, and it may not be yours. Keep Oh, I think it will be. Well, I hope, but if not, keep searching. And remember, it's not the church that saves you, Kathleen. You know that. It's your relationship with Christ. Yes. So if you go 20 years and not find a church, so what, you know?
3: Well, I'm, I, I love to pray, and I'm so grateful for my life. I'm so grateful that God brought me out of that horrible, horrible place. Um, just so grateful. I can't thank you enough.
1: <laughs> Praise God. That's such a beautiful testimony. Thanks for sharing it with us.
3: Thank you. I was also in that movie, uh, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was in that uh, many years ago when I first came out. I've been out uh, about, I've been within 13 years, been out about 13 years but just don't know where to go, grieved for many years, you know, but yeah. just coming out the other end. So I just want to meet with like-minded people that want to know our beautiful savior and that it's about him and what he did for us, not what we could do for him. Amen. You well, know. Hopefully so, you'll find that here,
1: uh, Kathleen. Hopefully you'll find that. You come and meet a lot of different people and they're, they're you know, in my opinion, they're really great people.
3: Well, I will come, I will come this Sunday.
1: Okay, my sister. Look I will forward... be there. Thank you. Okay, talk to you later. Thank
3: you. Okay. God,
1: bless. God bless you. Bye, bye. So, uh, campus people, be nice. I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, uh, let's go to Mark in Boise. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter.
2: Yeah, Sean, I just had a question for you. Yes, sir. You don't, you don't talk a lot about the uh, politics. I mean, you know, government and all that. I was just curious. Uh, you know, he heard about the movement of the world, the new world order, one world religion, uh, one world government, and you know, they're in the making of it, and a lot of things are happening in our life. And I was just curious, uh, when they talk about one world religion, what are you, uh, where are you going with uh, that one world religion? What do you think that our evil uh, Luciferian government's up to?
1: <laughs> well, that's not a loaded question, is it? Uh, you know, I, uh, Mark, I completely, totally, absolutely stay out of anything to do with politics.
2: Um, well, isn't and, politics a lot of our life? I mean...
1: Not part of my life.
2: Okay, that's yeah.
1: true. And I, I think, and the reason I do that, Mark, is because I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. That's how God leads, and it's up to them individually. I just, right. have, a, I just have a problem when churches use the pulpit to uh, guide and gear their congregates towards certain positions in the name of Jesus. I think Jesus didn't do that. His apostles didn't do it. And I have a problem when we do it. And and so uh, I realize, you know, there's a lot of good people who want to see things better in our communities. I'm all for that. I just have a problem when people say, you know, Christians, this is what we have to do, and I don't like it.
2: Right, right. Well, I was just curious, I just kind of feel like the Mormons may end up being one of them power religions that work towards the new world order when the time comes, because uh, like you say, they live so much for money and them all and, you know, the world, so.
1: Yeah, and you're probably right, uh, Mark, and I can probably guarantee you that many, many, many Christian churches and denominations will join hands with them. Right, Yeah. okay. Hey, thanks for watching, my brother. We're out of time. Really appreciate the call.
2: You bet. No problem. Thanks. Keep up the good work.
1: Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. We have a lot of uh, emails, a stack, and I'm so sorry. I I write you guys sometimes and say, we're going to cover it tonight, and I'm just so long-winded. But next week, we're going to tone back. We're starting on a new subject. We've covered God. We've covered soteriology. We've now covered what is expected of the Christian what is the Bible tells us to be. And we're gonna go on and we're gonna get some new level ground play, ground work done between the LDS and Christian uh, churches and see if we can uh, make some sense of uh, how to help these LDS people come out of the faith and what to look for in their church. There's a lot of good churches here in Utah and a lot of devoted pastors who've given their life to the Lord. I talk strongly against the showmen and the ones who are uh, doing things that aren't helping the sheep uh, but there's a lot that do and it's not just campus and so don't think I'm, I'm putting that across at all love you guys we'll see you next week here on heart of the matter
0: good job i'm on the ride going nowhere i am an existential cowboy on I won't be coming Out, I'm going in This man's awake A storm's arising The dawn's waiting Till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light man start